You're listening to Panels of Blood, part of SplatterPictures.net. Welcome to Panels of Blood, the podcast where I read you horror comic books. I'm your host, Wes Nipe. We're continuing our reading of the 2014 Nancy Collins rendition of Vampirella. This is part four, so if you haven't listened to the others, feel free to head on back to episode one, two, and three. In this iteration, Vampirella was an agent of the Vatican until she was betrayed After failing to save a young girl named Emma from her possessed father, who is now the villainous Ethan Shroud and high priest of the Cult of Chaos, Vampirella finds herself in turn possessed by the dark entity known as the Lady of Shadows, Sister Bride, to the god of chaos himself. The Vatican, fearing she is now too dangerous, send the Witch's Hammer, Vatican shock troops led by the sadistic Father Nicodemus, whereupon she's rescued by Drago, a mysterious Nosferatu that tells her if she devours the blood of several of the most rare and powerful vampires, she will gain their essence and become strong enough to defeat the Lady of Shadows herself. They stopped off in Thailand to take on the malevolent Krazu, and once the creature was defeated, Vampirella, Drago, and Drago's servant Coleridge head off to their next locale. By the way, Nancy Collins reached out to me on Twitter to say that, one, she was enjoying the show, which is a big boon to me, and also to clarify something, that was the ending of issue three. If you guys go back and listen to that episode, I kind of guessed what the meaning was when Vampirella burned down the spa and killed some of the patrons of this spa slash resort, and I wasn't exactly sure why she would bother doing that. I thought maybe that they were evil or that maybe they were also Krazu or something. But Nancy told me that in her original script, the women were prepubescent. So it was like a sex trafficking thing. But for whatever reason, I'm not sure if it was Patrick Birkenkotter or if it was um, Dynamite, uh, something up in editing where they maybe thought that it was just a bit too much. And so the the women of the spa are depicted as uh, grown women. So... It it does leave things uh, very ambiguous as it sits now, but uh, Nancy was really good for reaching out and clarifying, and I really thank her for that. By the way, sorry if things get a little echoey. I'm not exactly sure how to mitigate what's going on right now. I changed my setup a little bit to eliminate some of the background noise, and in doing so, I have now an echo problem. So we'll see how this goes. But... Without further ado, I bring you issue four of Vampirella, titled La Mia, written by Nancy A. Collins, pencils by Patrick Birkenkotter, colorist Jorge Sutil, inks by Dennis Chrysostomo, and letters Rob Steen. We open to an establishing shot of a beautiful beach in captions. Somewhere off the coast of Greece. 
Telepilos, a fishing village on the tiny island of Lamos, is famous for its unspoiled beaches, unimpeded views, and friendly natives. Somehow the island has managed to escape being overdeveloped like Crates and Naxos, and still maintains its ancient charm. We see a young man by himself sitting on the beach, surrounded by couples enjoying the surf, the sun, and romance. He looks solemn. Lamos's reputation as a couple's destination was the reason Mitchell Trembant, an accountant with a London financial firm, booked a non-refundable holiday package for he and his girlfriend, Julia, six months ago. A close-up shot of this man, his solemn expression unmistakable. Of course, that was before Julia left him for someone more exciting. But, who knows? Maybe he'll find a beautiful local girl, one he can dance with in the moonlight and make love to on the beach. Oh, who is he kidding? Depressed by the sight of so many happy couples, Mitchell decides to find a more secluded spot, one where he can be alone with his thoughts. We see Mitchell getting directions by a couple of local fishermen. One of the fishermen from the village mentions a stretch of beach known as Sela's Rock. Mitchell, now wandering down this lonely beach by himself. It takes him a half hour to reach his destination. The surf is choppier here, and the wind a little wilder, but the scenery is breathtaking, and there isn't another soul in sight. Or, so it would seem. We see Mitchell, now coming to a cave. At the entrance, on a large rock, is a beautiful blonde woman in a very revealing teal bathing suit. She's sunbathing. The caption reads, She is the most beautiful woman Mitchell has ever seen in his life. Compared to her, Julia was a dog's dinner. Fate had brought him to this wild and lonely place. Now, if only she might notice him. Mitchell, clearly not a ladies' man, looks on her in awe, shock, and a bit of fear. He's sweating profusely. Uh, excuse me, uh, miss? We see that he has this beauty's attention. She looks at him calmly. I I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize you were here. I mean, I hope I'm not intruding. That is, uh, I mean... We see that she has thrown her bikini top into his face, right into his eyes. He staggers back in complete surprise. We see him reaching out to her as she laughs topless and heads into the cave. In captions, When Julia walked out on Mitchell, she called him more CPA than man. She said he was too risk-averse to enjoy what life had to offer. We now see Mitchell heading into the cave. In the foreground, the woman's bikini bottoms are now lying on the ground. In caption, Well, this will show that cow he's not afraid to take a risk. Eh? What are we here? We now see Mitchell reaching down to the bikini bottoms. He says, you don't believe in wasting time, do you, love? When he's holding up the bikini bottoms, he sees a skull and bones, flesh still hanging off, one eye still staring towards him. Holy Christ! We now see he is falling back in absolute horror. Before him, this woman has transformed into a woman who is half-human, half-snake. Her skin blue, her hair still blonde. She's bearing long, dangerous-looking fangs. 
So just as an aside here, the Lamia are of Greek legend. And much like in the previous issue with the Krazu, where we're jumping around to different locales, Nancy is introducing us to these creatures of legend. Now, Lamia, you guys uh, follow the Dead Air podcast, the other one that I do. We've encountered these creatures before, well, this one specifically in Drag Me to Hell. Um, the Lamia was the name of the demon, and it was known for eating children, etc. They are normally depicted as a serpent. They're not unlike physically dissimilar to what Gorgon looked like, with the major difference being that there's no serpents in her hair, it's just regular hair. Um, and again, Nancy has taken the time to uh, craft an interesting lore around uh, a, a creature of myth and legend. Again, much like the Krazu, um, I'm not entirely aware of any uh, culture believing that they were vampiric in some way, but they do have vampiric qualities, and I think that is really cool that um, part of the fun of these mythical creatures is that you can sort of um, hang a lot of window dressing in and around them to suit your stories. And if people were interested, they could research them, you know, Google these types of creatures and, and, and learn more. But uh, for this, uh, in this case, uh, Lamia is uh, an ancient vampire. Anyway, back to the story. In captions. The last thing to cross Mitchell Trabant's mind as his holiday romance wraps him in her deadly embrace is that he really should have taken the loss on the booking. We now cut to another beach scenery. A familiar form is resting under a parasol. It's Vampirella. She's wearing sunglasses and her traditional Vampirella outfit, which is actually pretty beach appropriate. In captions, we see weeks later. Vampirella, looking off into another direction, doesn't see a frisbee heading towards her head. Off panel, someone shouts, Watch out! Effortlessly, Vampirella catches the frisbee before it strikes her head. A handsome, shirtless man runs towards her. Sorry about that, Vampirella replies. You should watch where you throw that thing. You made a great catch, though, he goes on to say. I'll be more careful in the future. By the way, my name is Stavros. Pleased to meet you. I'm called Ella. A close-up of Stavros smiling down to her. So, how long are you going to be on the island? She responds. It depends on how long it takes me to finish something. Can I see your mobile? Vampirella handing him her phone. What do you want it for? I'm giving you my number. If you need a native guide, all you have to do is call. I know this island like the back of my hand and whoop! He suddenly cut off by being startled by the form of Coleridge standing behind him. Excuse me, madam, but it is time to return to the villa. There's Coleridge standing there. Everyone on the beach is half-naked, and of course he's in his full suit. He's walking up a set of stairs with Vampirella. She asks him, Tell me, Coleridge, why do you play Jeeves to a Nosferatu? What hold does Drago have over you? You are mistaken. I serve his excellency of my own free will. Forgive me if I have my doubts, Vampires rarely allow their human servants such freedom. Who says I'm human? We now have another establishing shot of a scenic view from what I assume is the hotel that Drago and Vampirella are staying at. Honestly, Vampirella, you were supposed to be searching for some clue to the Lamia's lair. 
not sunbathing on the beach and chattering up the local Lothario. We see Vampirella now pouring herself a drink as Drago stands, hands clasped behind his back. Is that what Coleridge told you? Courage keeps me informed as to what goes on while I am indisposed during the day. Vampirella now in captions as we see a scene of Vampirella earlier in the day talking to a few locals. Well, then you should also know I spent most of the day asking the villagers about caves on the island. But I got nowhere, so I decided to hit the beach and try my luck there. A close-up of Drago. You could have made them talk. You are a vampire after all. That's not my style. I don't like mesmerizing humans unless I have no choice. Vampirella now looking at him slyly from over her shoulder. You're not jealous that I can walk about in the sunlight while you have to spend the day locked inside a gloomy old coffin, are you? Vampirella now using her speed to close the distance between her and Drago. Her hand caresses his chin while her thumb hovers close to his lips. Or is it the gigolo you're jealous of? Drago snatches her by the wrist and pulls it aside. There's no point in using her to try and seduce me. I am immune to her charms. Vampirella shocked that Drago has grabbed her and almost seems like in the moment she doesn't even realize what was happening. What are you trying to pull, Drago? It's not me you have to worry about taking advantage of you, my dear. He points to the circular scar over her breast. It's her. We now see Vampirella with her eyes closed while a shadowy figure caresses her body. We, of course, know it's the Lady of Shadows herself. Now you face an enemy that uses your own darkness against you. Lady Umbra's influence on you is growing stronger, leading you further and further into shadow until you won't know her voice in your head from your own. We now see Vampirella facing off against the god of chaos in a fiery form. Next to him also is Dracula. This clearly being a metaphor for enemies she has faced in the past. Drago's narration continues. Time and time again, you have fought powerful foes and succeeded in besting them. Vampirella turning away into the light. Her shadow that she casts, however, is not her own. But to battle the Lady of Shadows, you must continue fortifying yourself with the blood of the rarest of vampires. That is why we came here in search of a Lamia. Vampirella now reaching down to the broken glass that she dropped in this mild struggle. What makes this Lamia so important? And why are you so sure there's one hiding out around here? We see a shot of Vampirella's mother, Lilith, lying nude with a large serpent. Looks just like a boa constrictor, basically. Drago's narration starts up again. The Lamia are among the oldest of Lilith's progeny, said to be born of her congress with the serpent of the garden. We now see a Lamia in human form beckoning towards a common peddler. They're both dressed as if it were ancient Greece. The Lamia once existed in great numbers in ancient times. Like yourself, they could go forth during the day, and they always dwelt in the wild places, luring away hapless young shepherds and unwary travelers. 
the same shepherd is now surrounded by serpentine coils and looks horrified. They were common during ancient times, but the rise of technology and the increasing development of their native habitat have put them on the endangered species list, at least as far as us vampires are concerned. This raises an interesting point that I noticed that Nancy has included in her writing is the idea that human beings through development seem to be pushing back these vampires that were once numerous, both the Krazu and the previous issue, because of the fact that people tend to populate in large cities and are birthed in hospitals, their favorite food, human babies, became unavailable and their numbers dwindled because of that. In this case, just development. Development of ancient Greece meant that these creatures became rarer and rarer. It's interesting. It's almost as if uh, Nancy is coming off as an environmentalist to mythical creatures. Anyways, we continue. We now see the Lamia lying in her cave, soundly asleep, her snake-like tail coiled around her. Drago's narration continues. Lamos has long been rumored as the home of the last of the Lamia. She is said to make her lair in a series of caves on the island, but exactly where is unknown. It might take days to track her down. Time we don't have. Vampirella now has her phone up to her ear as Drago looks on. She says, Which brings me to what I was about to tell you before you started ragging me about my day on the beach. While I was working on my tan, I found us a native guide. It's called multitasking. Thank you very much. We now see Stavros with a bouquet of flowers knocking on Vampirella's front door. Her narration continues. I can have him here delivered, piping hot, straight to our door in less than 30 minutes. We now see Vampirella no longer in her Vampirella uniform, but a plain white dress. She smiles to him while Drago stands in the background. Wow, that was fast, Stavos says. I was taught never to keep a beautiful woman waiting. He seems shocked to see Drago there. I mean, I would be too, based on the fact that he looks like a Nosferatu. Vampirella welcomes him in while Drago stands there looking stern. Please, make yourself at home, Stavros. I'd like you to meet my partner. Stavros seems to be getting the wrong impression. He looks shocked and wanting to leave. He says, I'm afraid there's been a big misunderstanding. I'll show myself out. We see Coleridge standing there with a silver platter full of money. Off panel, Drago says, perhaps this will persuade you to stay, Mr. Stavros, is it? Stavros, looking at the stack of bills, comes to a natural conclusion, I'd say. Okay, the old man can watch, but that's it. Drago sighing and holding his head. Ah, my lovely companion and I are not interested in your sexual prowess, young sir. We are in the market for a guide. Stavros, with his hand to his face, leans away as Drago leans forward, completely invading his personal space. We are here in search of a rare creature, one said to live within a system of caves on the island. Do you know of such a place? Stavros, now pretty fed up with the situation, is storming out. Drago looks somewhat amused by his outburst, and Coleridge stands in the background. I, 
I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing like that on Lamos. You can keep your money. I'll be going now. Now, darting in front of the door, Vampirella, with a strange look in her eye, tries to persuade him. You don't want to show me around the island? He responds. Yes. Good. Because I would love to visit some caves. I think caves are sexy. We now see a close-up of Vampirella's eyes. There's no pupil, only a bright green iris with his reflection in it. The implication being that this is the type of circumstance where she will mesmerize a human. He responds, completely under her spell. Yes, it's called Celia's Rock. Good boy. Can you take us there? Yes. We now see this curious quartet walking down the beach at night. Coleridge is holding a torch, Vampirella in her classic outfit. Stavros leading the way. Drago has a strange scythe-like weapon in his hand. Vampirella asks, How long until we reach this Celia's Rock? Stavros replies, It shouldn't be much farther. We now have a panel of Stavros pointing out, There it is! Vampirella shouts as we see the form of a nude woman stowing away into the cave. And there she is! Drago is attempting to hand Vampirella that scythe weapon. Take this with you. Why? I'm going to kill a vampire, not harvest grain. This is no mere weapon. It is harp, the serpent hunter's scythe. It was used by Perseus to behead Medusa. Its blade is made of adamantine and cannot be broken. This and only this will slay the Lamia. Very well. Just cut our guide loose and send him back to his people. No, we still need him. Zelamia only responds to members of the opposite sex. If a woman approaches, she'll flee back into the caves. If she does, we may never find her, and time is of the essence. Stavros now looking terrified. No, I beg you. I did as you asked, and I brought you here. Please, let me go. Vampirella confidently caresses his face. Thinks she's putting the whammy on him again. I just need you to do one more little thing for me, Stavros. I promise you won't get hurt. Stavros now walking forward towards the cave while the rest of the group hangs back. Drago, noticing how much he's using her mesmerizing powers, needles her a little bit. I thought controlling the minds of human was not your style. You said yourself, we have little time to waste. We see Stavros heading towards the mouth of the cave. Perched up above him and crouching is the Lamia in a human form still. In captions, Vampirella says. Besides, I'm not going to let anything bad happen to him. Drago, looking pleased. She's taken the bait. Vampirella twists her head around. What? Stavros yells as he's pulled into the cave. Vampirella lunging forward, a torch in one hand and the scythe in the other heads into the cave after him. Stavros! She stands at the mouth of the cave. It's filled with bones, and we can see the rotting corpse of our good friend Mitchell on the ground there. Nice attention to detail. Stavros reaching out to Vampirella's direction as he looks in terror as a Lamia, now in her serpent form, bears her fangs and is about to bite his neck. Ella! While the Lamia is distracted, trying to kill Stavros, Vampirella lunges forward and slams the scythe down on the creature's torso, bisecting her completely. She shouts out, Let go of him. 
He is mine! Delamia screams out in pain, and the omniscient narration kicks in. The moment Vampirella saw Stavros wrapped in the crushing coils of the Lamia, she was gripped by an instinctual hatred of the creature. She instantly wanted to kill the monster the villagers called Celia, not out of a desire to rid the world of such an aberration, or to prevent her own transformation into something even more terrible. No, she wanted to kill the Lamia because the bitch had poached her prey. We now see Vampirella dragging Stavros's body out of the cave, he weakly says, so cold, Ella. I can't feel my legs. She tries to reassure him. It's going to be all right, Stavros. I'll get you out of here. Then, suddenly, the Lamia grabs Vampirella's ankle hard. What? Even though this creature has no lower half, it still has the compunction to want to kill Vampirella. It's not dead yet. It lets out a long hiss. Vampirella, still with a scythe in her hand, twists her body towards the Lamia and completely decapitates the creature. Its head sails through the air with a vacant expression, its mouth agape, it now completely silent. What we have here is an absolutely gorgeous panel. Vampirella standing triumphant with the decapitated head of the Lamia over top of her as she raises it above her head and opens her mouth, blood freely draining out of the neck hole of this creature and into her mouth. It drips down her chin and down her body as the omniscient narration returns. Without thinking, she snatches up the head of her vanquished enemy and drains the blood pouring from its neck. She can feel the muscles in the Lamia's face twist and contort in a vain attempt to deliver one last death bite before its eyes finally glaze over and it surrenders itself to death. The Lamia's blood is cold, far colder than the Krasu's, but possessed of an invigorating energy that shoots through her body like liquid lightning. Drago now approaching the cave with a torch. How do you feel? Vampirella, wiping blood from her face, still holding the Lamia's severed head. I feel almost intoxicated. Ah, the older the vampire, the more potent the blood. This Celia was quite ancient, at least 3,000 years old. Where's Stavros? It would seem our guide has left us for the Elysian fields. We see a panel now of Stavros indeed dead, his eyes rolled back. Poor bastard, the least I can do is take him back to his people. Where's Coleridge? A close-up of Drago and Vampirella. I sent him to Reti the yacht for departure. We now hear a large rumbling of a crowd. What's that noise? It sounds like voices. Drago's expression is glum. I'm afraid I know that sound all too well. We now see a scene straight out of uh, Universal Monsters, a large gathering of villagers, pitchforks, sighs, torches, machetes. They're raising their arms in anger at the mouth of the cave. Drago's caption continues. It's an angry mob, one with pitchforks, if I'm not mistaken. One of the villagers shouts to the pair as they leave the cave. Where is Stavros? He was seen leading you to this place. Vampirella triumphantly raises the head of the Lamia. Stavros is dead, but I have slain the monster that killed him. The villagers, not satisfied, pelt rocks at her as she shields her face. You killed Celia, murderer! Another voice shouts, Blasphemer! You slew the Dark Queen! 
Another villager shouts again. She protected our way of life. All we had to do was make sure she was offered an occasional tourist. Now the real estate developers will come and buy up all the land and build condos and drive us from our homes. Vampirellas. Hey. As she's pelted with rocks. The villagers now in unison. Kill them. Kill the blasphemers. Vampirella looks completely shocked as rocks fly by her head. Drago also seems rather intrigued. One of the rocks strikes him in the chest, but bounces off harmlessly. Vampirilla says, This is crazy. I've been at this game for years, and this is the first time the torch-waving angry villagers have tried to kill the monster hunters. It is a unique turn of events for me as well. Drago, leaping off the mouth of the cave, turns into a giant vampire bat. Enough of these fools. Vampirella, in turn, Silhouetted by the moon, her eyes blazing red, her arms outstretched into giant bat wings. Sorry, folks, but you really need to find a better way to handle your gentrification problem. We now see Coleridge piloting a yacht. He's out of his traditional suit and uh, into a fun and flirty blue sweater. No tie, very casual. Casual Coleridge, we'll call him. In captions, aboard the SS Black Albatross, Drago, in his vampire bat form, lands on the deck of the ship. Excuse me, my dear. I must confer with Coleridge regarding our destination. Vampirella now, no longer with bat wings for arms, looks down to the circular scar in her chest and contemplates. The omniscient narration starts again. Now that she was safely away from the mob, a cold chill overcomes Vampirella. She had sent poor Stavros to his death without a second thought, using him as if he were a convenient tool, not a human being, and for no other reason than it suited her to do so. That was something Dracula would do. Not her. At least, it used to be. We now see a close-up of the scar on Vampirella's chest. No longer is it a simple circle. It's a circle, but now half of it is completely blackened in, almost as if it were an eclipsed moon. We now have a shot of the Lamia's torso, headless, no tail, just the arms lamely sprawled about, blood everywhere. Two men who we're not familiar with stand over her, one holding a torch. The one holding a torch says, You're the mayor, Nikos. What do we do now that the Dark Queen is dead? I wish I knew, Ari. She has always been here to protect us. Ari... The man holding the torch points it towards the back of the cave. We see a small orb. Looks almost like a giant pink pearl. Ari says, Say, what's that? We now see the mayor, Nikos, holding up this object to the light. But it's not a giant pink pearl. It's an egg. Inside, we see the fetus of a new Lamia. With a satisfied look on his face, the mayor says, The queen is dead. Long live the queen. And that is going to do it for issue four of Vampirella, Our Lady of Shadows. The title of this issue, Lamia. Vampirella working her way up the ladder, killing one ancient vampire after another, imbuing herself with new power, ready to take on Lady Umbra if she can. Be sure to join us next week as we tackle issue five, Kostad. That is in reference to another monster that Vampirella is going to try and take care of. 
We are almost done with this story of Vampirella, and then we'll be moving on to something else. If you guys have a suggestion for what you'd like me to tackle on the show, please feel free to tweet me at WesDeadAirNipe, or you can go to SplatterPictures.net, where this episode will be posted, or on the SoundCloud, or on iTunes, or Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. By the way, I don't know if I made this entirely clear, but I'm reading off of um, a trade paperback. I noticed some of you guys were wondering how I was reading this, if I was looking at a digital copy or whatever. No, 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 I bought the trade. Um, so when I like a book, what I do is I buy it on the monthly, so I have the floppy versions. And then if I really, really like something, I also buy the trade, so I have both. Um, that way that I can lend the story out if I want other people to read it, or I can also read it myself many times and not actually have to worry about damaging the comic books. It's a little weird, but, well, I'm a lot of weird. But at any rate, we'll see you next week. I'm Wes Snipe, and you've been listening to Panels of Blood.